You're listening to Of Slights and Men with Benji and Jacob. A Daily Magician Production. Hello and welcome back to Of Slights and Men. We're very excited uh, to be with you here today. It's actually a, a full group of uh, of British British lads in in, in the uh, in the call today. So we're excited. Uh, we're feeling. We've actually been been vibing a bit before we started this podcast. So uh, we're already in a good mood. Uh, Benji, do you want do you want to introduce our mysterious British guest? Yeah, and I'm, I'm excited to do this because um, this is kind of like one of those you know meet your heroes moments. Uh, growing up, I I loved to watch this guy on YouTube. Um, he had probably still has some of the best magic content out there um films himself busking and performing obviously not quite right now with the current situation but some of it, if you go back there's a whole archive of amazing videos so he was always a personal hero of mine um always looked up to him as a magician and an entertainer um and, and that man is stephen bridges uh, we have him on the call now um, hello how are you doing yeah really good thank you so much for having me it's awesome to be here yeah no problem that was a very nice intro too, by the way. Thank you. We feel very special. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> I was actually thinking as I said it about the one time. I should probably tell this story just for the sake of the podcast, because um, I don't think I've told this before. So the first time I met Stephen, like I said, I'd been a big fan, um, and I'd, I'd always watch his stuff. Because you know, when you're a magician, like how many how how many magicians are there like on YouTube? <laughs> you know, yeah. especially good ones, right? So it's like you you get drawn to them like a magnet. So Miss Mag. Every time Stephen put out a video, the ultimate. <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> but but in terms of like a I don't know a face right like a I guess you would call it a brand but it wasn't that uh, cold or transactional at the time it's just you know that was Stephen I love watching Stephen's work and so yeah I was uh, a little bit younger than I am now I think it was mm, actually to be fair it wasn't that long ago maybe it was like two years ago I'm not sure I think it was summer 2018 I was going down to London with a group of friends. And I had, I had no intention of trying to sort of find Stephen, but it was in the back of my mind. that like, hey, yeah, Stephen, Stephen Bridges. There's a lot of busking in London and, and he's he must be in there somewhere. But like, I I was I am a bit like a Where's Wally character when in London. When people come to London, like, oh, we might see that bearded guy. That is how it felt, actually. Um, but because I, I wasn't going to try and find you because I didn't know my way around London, um, which probably worked to my benefit. Because I feel like if I had tried to find you, I wouldn't have found you. <laughs> um, but we just ended up roaming, going wherever we wanted, and then at one point I saw like out the corner of my eye, or maybe it was that like, I heard you. I'm not sure. You might be performing, and I was like, Dude, I had that like, uh, I, I had that feeling that like teenage girls must have got when they when they see Justin Bieber on like the <laughs> subway. That was like, I was like, I was like, I was like, free. I was like, guys, it's Steam Bridge. I don't know if I can do this, bro. <laughs> I'm not, I don't know if I can do this. <laughs> and then I go out and I just everyone my, my friends obviously um no offense even but they didn't know who you were they were like no that's fine this this guy doing card tricks like what, what's what's the big deal and I was like bro you don't understand this is Steven you know um <laughs> and so yeah I went over and I uh, introduced myself and then Stephen was really nice obviously um I can't remember what we talked about I think I just said I was a fan um I, I actually think I sh- I think maybe I showed you a card trick um. I can't remember if it was a good one. I hope it was. Um, <laughs> and I think you showed me a couple of things. But anyway, it, it was busy and I think you had some show coming up or, or what have you. So I was like, 
I was like, great, that's it. And, and I went off. And then as soon as I started walking away, I just realized in my head, I was like, oh, what? I just totally like flubbed that because I was, I was with this like hero of mine and I didn't even ask for a picture. <laughs> um, but I was trying to get back to my, my group of friends, um, which had been you know separated from me. And as a non-London local, I was like, uh, where are they? <laughs> and so that was the other part of the story. So then I sort of got lost in London, but we skipped that bit. I eventually found them. Um, and then later in the day, just as luck would have it, crossed past crossed paths with Stephen again. Um, and at that point, I, was I like, just well, never leave. It must be fate. <laughs> like, Stephen was just behind you the whole time. <laughs> That's the real secret. <laughs> and uh, of course, I then asked Stephen uh, for a picture. Uh, that made my day. And yeah, I mean, I guess that was it. We went back home. And... Oh, I got a card signed as well. Actually, I forgot about that. Yeah, wow. a card from Stephen. So it was it was a whole experience, man. It was like a um. It, it almost it's almost like somebody else would have like orchestrated it being like you know like hidden cameras like benji's gonna meet steven you know like um <laughs> that's yeah, cool i'm glad you have good memories of it <laughs> i do remember this actually especially when you sent me the, the photo i i have at least sort of because i've met a few people when street before me so now mm. when you mentioned just then that you showed me a trick i was like ah wait this really narrows it down and i can really like pinpoint <laughs> the experience a bit more um yeah do you know what's really awkward about meeting people when i'm mm out and about is that heart you know like lock your ears benji it's gonna be okay no no no. this isn't this (laughs) isn't this isn't benji specific (laughs) this is a purely internal thing so like when when you're doing you know youtube videos and you've got sort of the most minor degree of fame that is possible where you still can get recognized right like the 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 real bottom rung of 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 what could be considered famous so like Mm. occasionally someone will know who i am in a cafe or something like that that's the level but very rarely so that means that when people recognize me, half the time they're just like, oh, I know your face. And, and they don't want a photo because they don't care, which is totally fine. And then the other half of the time that they, they do want it. And I always feel really weird like asking, oh, do you want a photo? Because it, it almost seems like so like arrogant yeah. of me to. to so I, I always find those moments a little bit awkward because I never really know um, what what. Sometimes they just want to be like, I know you. And that's all they want from the interaction. And I'm like, cool. You well done. You found me, and other times uh, people want picture and stuff. So I always, I, I'm glad that you have fond memories because I always find these things hard to hard to judge. Yeah, wow. I mean, it was. Um, yeah, that's that's like a legendary <laughs> I mean, story my... as well. I, I remember like <laughs> Benji recounting that as it comes back because we were we were like, oh man, that would be the life, like busking, busking London. Like this was around the point where like. In my little sleepy village in Shifnal. I don't know if you do you know nobody knows. Shifnal's like next to Telford. <laughs> do you know that, Stephen? Do you know Telford even? That's a really I'll, small pre- town I'll as pretend. Well. Yeah. Yeah, I, I know Telford. of it, but not I couldn't tell you anything about it. Yeah. So it was a little especially like even smaller at the time called Shifnal. And like I think it was like videos like yours that were making me go out say I I told the story before on the podcast, but we'd like I remember I'd like wake out I'd wait outside like the co op. And they'd be like old grannies, like walking home with their with their newspapers. And I'd be like, "Oh, can I show you a magic trick?" Like jump out from behind the wall. <laughs> nice one <laughs> for them, and they wouldn't react. And I just feel like I guess obviously someone's like filming it on their little like camcorder. <laughs> I was yeah, like, bro, watch this. <laughs> well, yeah. it's also really tricky because it's like it's not a warm interaction. Like you've just you've just approached somebody. Who right. didn't expect to see magic to show the magic that's being filmed? So they feel self-conscious mm. that they're being filmed. They're also, mm. especially these days, unsure if you're about to prank them. So it's right. it's it, it can be difficult to to get into that. <laughs> get into that. In their face. It's just a prank, yeah. bro. <laughs> yeah, totally. 
<laughs> oh gosh, the, the world we live in. Kind of like a, you have like a backlog of footage that will never air on YouTube, but that is quite amusing. <laughs> oh my <laughs> of, gosh, uh, when you've you've approached people and they've been interesting to deal with. Yeah, I remember the first time that I went out to try and do street magic and film it. We just couldn't get a single person to say yes. So it was it was just especially, so especially in London, right? <laughs> yeah, and if actually actually uh, now you mention it, when I was first doing street magic in Newcastle, where I'm from, I, I remember it would always be this really big thing to, to go and approach people would be terrifying. And my cameraman would have to really, cameraman who was a friend of mine, would really have to egg me on and be like, that, that group over there. And it is always, because you're, you're just going through like this process of being rejected again and again and again, yeah. like in a really short amount of time. The edited result is always really quite good because it's it's when you find the people that are up for it and then they have a good time and, they, and then they react well. But the actual success rate is, is pretty low with, with street magic where you're just walking up to people. I got gravitated towards parks pretty early on because you go to a park, people are sat around in the sun, you know, just chilling, having a picnic, and they're way more receptive. They're in a much more chill mood. But if you stop somebody on the street that's walking somewhere, you've got barriers to overcome, I mm. think, that are, that are way tougher. Mm. Yeah, because you don't know where they're going. Like, <laughs> they could yeah. be in a, in a urgent errand. I don't know. They could, or they just think that you want money from them, or you want to trick them, yeah. or you. Yeah, they just don't know what they're getting themselves into, and and why Which take is that like risk? Fair enough, I think. <laughs> for sure, yeah, for sure. Some some fault in in them. We just kind of have to figure out the best way of overcoming that. And actually, it's it's interesting when you say this because a lot of the psychology of of street busking and you know performing and uh, this idea of dealing with like uh, rejection, whatever. Now that you're, and maybe we can get into this more later, but now you're moving into more um, of a I don't know sort of like business approach. I think yeah. that, that skill and that ability to just deal with rejection time after time after time is going to serve you like really well um, if it hasn't already. Because just don't take it personally. By I imagine by now you just don't really take that kind of thing personally. Um, yeah. When out in business, this they get really kind of like personally attached to stuff, and when they get rejected, you know, let's say they reach out for a podcast guest and they say no, you know, crushes them or, or whatever. You know, it's like mm. you put out a product, people don't like it. Just all this these, um, and it's not even the rejection; it's almost like the fear of the rejection. Prevent yeah analysis. yeah the thing but itself is never that bad really mm -hmm. is it you know yeah, it's right. the actual yeah I, I i totally i think i've been very lucky with the combination of stuff that i've i've got to do in life because i think i've learned like a stack from from each of it so youtube is very different from street performing and street performing is very different from you know close up and then i mingle i did mingling magic a lot and did residencies quite a lot so i've luckily had these different sort of areas so i've, I've experienced that feeling of, of gaining a lot of subscribers in a short period of time or losing subscribers and mm. you know when you check the graphs on youtube i must have lost over the course of my youtube career like fifty thousand subs like in terms of you know like i'm i'm you gain maybe 200,000 and you lose 50,000 out of those 200 or something. And that's quite hard to get your head around at times because you take mm -hmm. it so personally. But luckily over time, I think you get a bit more used to this stuff. And, and you also kind of learn how to to not sort of, <laughs> I don't know, don't, don't like bathe in negative comments and stuff. There is a degree of just don't, you're, you're never going to, especially on the internet, you're never going to agree with everyone about everything. So I try and not dwell on, on, on these detailed paragraphs that I get on YouTube sometimes about why, mm -hmm why my magic is terrible or something i try not to like think about it too much because yeah you've got to be careful really with what you take in mm. right it probably prepared you quite well for now that you send out daily emails and again we'll get into this because we have a, a quite a lot in common but I, I imagine if you're anything like us well I don't, I don't think it's even a secret you know when you send more emails you're going to get more people unsubscribing just because maybe they sign mm -hmm. up by accident or 
uh, you know, going to the wrong email or, or whatever, you know. For and sure. So having that experience of YouTube you kind of, I would think, helps you get kind of prepared for that. Because at first it's like, wait, what, what did I say wrong, you know? Um, but then, like you're saying, it's you just got to take it in context as well. So maybe it's like you know, 40 people have bought this product, and like three mm. people have unsubscribed. It's like, you know, it's like you can't dwell on that kind of thing because maybe they just weren't the right match anyway and everyone else seems to be loving it. So. Yeah, I I expected it to be more painful to lose subscribers or lose a customer. Um, honestly, and I, I can't go into this too much from what I want to say regarding this, but I mean, I have a project coming out on YouTube in January and this will really shed some light onto what I'm about to say. But unfortunately, this is going to be very vague because I can't talk about what the project is. But I have been doing something for the past two years, really, that through what what it involves means i have to experience the feeling of 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 things going badly uh very often and on very large scales so whenever i'm looking at like oh i i lost a you know if i lost a member in my, in my membership or if i lost some subscribers because of what i've just had to go through it, it's not on a comparable scale uh, at the moment so i've had this weird kind of I don't want to call it an emotional beating, but you'll see when, when I post this thing, what I've had to had to do as part of this project going, has been a lot tougher the, than I thought. The pyramid scheme? <laughs> yeah, can you imagine? Oh, don't get don't get me started. <laughs> I, I know people that have been sucked into Ponzi schemes and Oh yeah. But no, it's just it's just a thing which in, in, with it with with this thing that I tried in, in the same way that like not every street show goes well. So sometimes a street show goes right. badly, you know, and, and that feeling kind of sucks. So it's like that, but maybe a hundred times more extreme on both ends mm. of the spectrum. But I'll, yeah, I, sh I maybe shouldn't have mentioned it because it's sort of just like this weird tease. But all I'm saying really by that is that <laughs> luckily I've had some emotional practice to deal with the feeling of things not going well that actually has mm. translated and given me a bit more perspective on other areas of my life. So right. um, I can be a bit more detached. It's, it's kind of, it's one of those interesting things, right? That as humans, we're very good at filtering out as far as like when we hear other people's stories. Like even for instance, right now, uh, I have to really focus my brain in to be like, oh, like, no, that's actually a real experience. Because for some reason, you know, like when, when you read like, I don't know, when you read self-help books or you read like entrepreneur books or you read like whatever it is and they say like, I literally lived in my apartment, like eating Pop-Tarts or I guess like beans on toast, you know, like yeah. for like three years, you're like... <laughs> nice one you know <laughs> it doesn't like yeah. it doesn't like filter in you're like wow like that's so cool that you came back from that situation but then when you actually start i don't know trying to build up your own company and like you start pulling all nighters and you start working on crazy projects and you know you i don't know you start and again this is not in like a super uh, we definitely have, have had a pretty easy ride of it compared to what some people have had so i'm not, I'm not yeah. saying that in any way for us but uh, at least for me and, and Benji, but I think it, you know, for instance, like, I don't know, it, it's just, it's just one of the things that is human brain that I really tried to focus on is trying to actually like focus in on those things. When someone says like, oh, I actually went through this hard time and like not everything is easy. If we actually can, I don't know, as humans, obviously, like, I think we're very like, obviously we have the like primal nature in ourselves, which just avoids anything that can like hurt us. Right. Makes sense. <laughs> but Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's really important that like people that are listening that at, at home right now to actually listen to what Stephen's saying. Like when it comes to performances and one of them bombs, like it's okay. <laughs> like you know, it's just one of those things. Like uh, 
we could yeah, literally do a two-hour podcast on all of the times I've bombed. <laughs> so in in all aspects of life, with YouTube videos, with with, with street performances, like I, I've I've had some insane mess ups. You know, I've opened the lemon at the, my finale of my street show, and the card has not been inside. Like, I've had the chop cup be knocked off the table, and the lemon has shown early. I've had two balls appear under the cup instead of one. I've had I've had I've had been threatened during a show. You know, I've just done terribly. Uh, there's been every every element that could go wrong as I've experienced. And I think, yeah, what people have a tendency to think is that they think about failure and like, oh yeah, you'll fail a bit, but they still have this disproportionate view that in reality, you'll have a couple of bumps along the way to your massive mountain of success. And I think it's not like that at all. It really, for most people, is a lot more failure than people expect before they get to the the place where they want to be. And self-help books, I've, I've read a lot of self-help books, especially when I was a teenager, can be really helpful as a motivator. But I think in a way they can also give a bit of a distorted view into how things go, especially stuff that's a bit more law of attraction-y or right. mm. positive thinking based, which, you well, know, I, I like being optimistic, but there's also, you have to be, I don't know, stoicism maybe, is, a, is a great tool too. Maybe we can maybe we can coin this right now. I'm, I, I'm actually thinking about this, this effect, right? This is just a daily magician coin, but it's interesting Maybe I'm going to call it the montage effect. Because in every movie where they have to do something difficult, for instance, have you guys watched Zorro? I'm thinking of Zorro right now. You know how he's like a drunk and then they find Mm. him and then he just like, and then like you have this montage of him doing press-ups over candles Mm. and then like he's Mm. swinging around on ropes and like, and then, oh, suddenly like he is now Zorro. Congratulations. You know, like he has one more trial and then he's Zorro, you know? So... Yeah. And then, and then you have the same thing in a lot of movies. It's like Karate Kid, right? I mean, that's the one that's better at it. You know, it takes longer, but at the same time, it's like here's this montage of like Karate Kid, like doing like you know cleaning the front of a car, and then here's a montage of Karate Kid doing this, and and then now Karate Kid is a karate master, you know. So like, it's like, and, and again, I, I love that movie. I'm not hitting on it in any way, and I think it's one of the movies that probably does it a bit better. It does actually show that he has to like do work for a while before he can master anything but it's interesting that (laughs) it's not good viewership to actually see a lot of trials and a lot of practice we don't like watching it as humans you know there's a reason that that's just like like logistically though if they were takes time yeah exactly like the montage would be the film you know and like if you put it on the (laughs) timeline you know 90 percent of it is the montage (laughs) right exactly yeah yeah Yeah. yeah it's interesting no, that's so spot on. It, 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 it just is. People just want to see the highlight reel. People are really drawn to this idea that, and I hate this, people think that people are talented and that is it. So they go, oh, this person is really talented and that's why they've achieved something. And I think that right. skill is so much more of a, a better factor. And this is something I've heard loads of people say, but Will Smith said, you know, I heard this in an interview with Will Smith when I was a teenager and it totally affected how I looked at things. I think that talent is, is just your sort of baseline starting point, like how naturally good you are at the thing then skill is is you actually working at the thing and and working to get better and better and and skill will always be talent you know if someone's not that good at magic and you're just naturally a bit fumbly and you spend a load of hours practicing magic you'll be better than the person that's quite talented at magic but never practices it's just how it works but those yeah but people either want to yeah it's just people oversimplify the whole thing and, and there is a lot of bumps along the way and there's a lot of failure and I think every successful magician I know or person I know 
still has moments when they doubt themselves or still has moments where even they're doing really well, but then things go badly. And it, it's, it is a bit of a constant roller coaster. And I think that people don't realize that at all when they look at stuff from an out perspective. They just think, oh, this person's doing well and, and everything's great, but they don't, they don't think of the bigger picture. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of the um, montage effect, everybody. Use it in yeah. your vocabulary. Spread it across the world. <laughs> Go ahead, Ben. The, the, um, <laughs> to be fair, I think that's like a probably some kind of like film studies terminology. Yeah, it probably is. I think I wrote about that in my yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jacob came up with it right here, right now. It's yeah, a right, it's right. a brand new term. <laughs> Accept it. The question I was gonna sort of lead into. We were talking about books today. We we're talking about practice. It's a perfect segue, so I can shoehorn this question in. I saw recently in one of your emails you talked about a book called um, uh, Deep Work, which I was really excited to see because every time we have a guest on, <laughs> me and Jacob always ask we them. Always talk Somehow about we always it always comes yeah. into conversation. Like, hey, have, it, have you read Deep Work? Like I think you'd really like it. Oh, it's so like, good, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> so and good. and I'm like, you haven't read it? Like why? You know, and like I want to stop the podcast there and just say like, you know, go read it and then we'll pick up the podcast again. If that was mm. logistically possible. But now we actually have somebody on who has read it. And so I was thinking, I mean, I don't really have a direct sort of question. A little nerd about it. But you just want us to gush about deep work. Yeah. Yeah. Good book. I'm so up for that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, the, the whole concept, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that your listeners will be already familiar if you've talked about it before. But I, I guess it, so much of it is about guarding that time where you spend time working intensely on the thing that that you care about without distraction i guess that's kind of how you summarize it but yeah this is this is what's so interesting is that and and this is an ongoing thing i constantly reread deep work when i find myself not implementing the stuff as well to try and like get it ingrained in my head but the, the times that i get the most done is when i'll just sort of set even just an hour where i'm like i'm gonna work on this card concept this card trick for an hour no distractions my phone is off i've got some rainy mood in the background with some lo-fi beats and i'm just going to do that oh, and i it's amazing what you can get Steven, done when you just i even yeah. have the lo-fi beats <laughs> lo-fi beats man it's always lo-fi chilled cow it's always absolutely <laughs> look the secret to success is chilled cow you need to add a bit of rainy mood though if i'm honest with you it really does you're add right. to the experience you're right i must be i'm that's where i'm failing that's yeah. where you're not it's okay yeah. that'll get you I'm from an eight to a ten yeah. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, people people casu casually practice. And I think we live in an age where we have so many distractions, like not to crowbar in another Cal Newport book, but digital minimalism mm -hmm. is, is if you've read that, if you haven't read that, absolutely read that guys, you'll love it. But it's all about yeah. you've constantly got emails going off, Instagram notifications, Twitter, YouTube videos. I mean, you can go on YouTube and you can see a thousand videos tailored to what you will probably like to watch. Mm. And how do you compete with all that stuff when you also want to spend time on the thing that you love, which maybe takes a bit more work and a bit more motivation. And I think a good way of doing that is scheduling. And that is my deep work little summary. Schedule your time. Yeah, that's so much better than how I describe it. Usually <laughs> when I have a guest on, I try and explain this. Yeah, it's, it's, it's basically like working. like. <laughs> <laughs> i'm like because in a sense it's so intuitive but like uh, yeah when you read it it's kind of not as well like you read it and you think why have i never thought about it that way well it just kind of blows your mind and then when you try and tell it to me they're like well yeah i already kind of work hard like what's the difference it's like yeah <laughs> i think part of the reason why it's so good to read these kind of books and why i like rereading this stuff is because it, it immerses you in the concept so it's not like i need to reread deep work to understand the things in deep work i could mm. probably bullet point most of the the main points in the book but it's about hearing that man in my case audible hearing that man talk to me about how important it is for hours on my oh, tube journey or wherever i'm doing 
Wow. Yeah. Oh, That's gosh. We are peas in a pod, lads. What a moment. We are... Uh, it's, it's, <laughs> I think we have very similar tastes and stuff. I'm, that's that's yeah. the vibe I'm getting from when I've chatted to you guys. Um, but yeah, it's just yeah, about immersing yourself in those in those feelings. I don't want to. I don't want to risk uh, ruining the yeah. Don't break the, the correlations. But um, <laughs> <laughs> have you heard of a book called Essentialism? Yes, I haven't read it, but I could. I could read it. <laughs> but I've read like the one thing, and I, I kind of got the idea that these were sort of similar similar books. But would you recommend Essentialism? Yeah, I'm kind of biased as well, though, because I, I wanted to shoot on this in just so I could flex a bit. Because um, that guy who wrote it, actually, a family yeah. friend of ours, um, and uncle used to kind of hang out at their house and grow up with them. And so I always get a kick out of it when I see somebody who I don't know or who doesn't know us directly reading it. It's oh, like, that's um, cool. For fame. Um, but no, it is actually a really good book as well. And I listened to that one on Audible. And I don't usually, because um, I have like a, not a bias, but I just like reading the books in physical Although Kindle as well, just because you save so much money. I, oh, yeah. Love a good Kindle. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and Audible, I'd never read. Like, I, I went on this buying spree and bought, like, I don't know, 400, 500 quid worth of books, right? Yeah. And then after that, I, I happened to have, like, a free Audible credit left over. So I got Essentialism on Audible. And I listened to it. And I got it done so fast that I was like, wow, I really benefited from that. <laughs> it's kind of too bad I just spent, like, 500 quid on all these other books. And I can't have any of them in Audible. Um, I was kind of bummed about that. But. Yeah, growing up. But yeah, essentialism, essentialism is a really good book. Um, and I think it is, I mean, I, I don't know, I don't know how much judgment I can pass because I haven't read the one thing because as far as I understood it, maybe I was just a little bit arrogant. I, I kind of thought I kind of understood what the concept of it was uh, and maybe yeah. flip side of you because I'd read essentialism. I was like, well, I don't really need to read that. Um, but yeah, essentialism, um, it's about what well, I think the main thing that stood out to me was about the how beneficial it can be just to say no more often, you know, and, and how, and how to do that. Cause yeah. I was always the person who was very, very wanting to accommodate, you know, and, and I always wanted to help people out. And so if anybody would ask me something, I'd be like, well, yeah, of course. But then the way he helps you break it down and think about it, not in terms of a selfish way, but almost like a selfless way in terms of saying no to other projects is going to let you work on the projects that will have the most kind of overall benefits of everyone. And talks a lot about that. It's, 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 yeah, I think I need to take that book and beat myself over the head with it because I do <laughs> find it very difficult to not do multiple projects. I find it mm -hmm. so hard. I always think that if I just picked, just pick one and just really went for it, <laughs> I'd be nailing it. Mm -hmm. But I'm just, I just, I get too excited about too many things and it, it's a constant shiny object syndrome thing to, to, to limit mm -hmm. stuff. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I'm the same. It's like if somebody emails me and they, they, they want a hand with something, it's very hard for me to say no, but those emails mount up. If you have five of those, that's, that, that can be, an hour out of your day just replying to those five emails with some value mm. and mm. then before you know it you're, you're in a state of reacting to stuff which is why mm. segueing back deep work is so good because it teaches you to sort yeah. of not do your emails until you know 2 p.m or whenever it is mm. and, and ryan holiday who's one of my favorite authors too is is, mm. is a big fan of this stuff and it's like guarding that time like mm. if you just if you just on a bit of paper write down what are the things in your ideal day that you would get done what is your like priority and then we think, well, why are we checking email and Instagram and Twitter and Facebook mm. before we do those things? Yeah. Um, I love how we've just, this podcast, like, forget magic. We're just talking about excellent books and, <laughs> yeah, and ways of doing like That's kind of like the USP of this podcast is we, you know, we bring everybody's favorite magicians on and then ask them about everything except for magic. <laughs> <laughs> um, but don't you want to know my favorite double lift? <laughs> Next time. Uh, it's okay, Steve. <laughs> no. <laughs> the, I, I, let me just um, get info dump this thought before it leaves my head um 
first of all, I'm glad that you didn't read Essentialism before we reached out about the podcast, because maybe this wouldn't have happened. <laughs> um, so I do appreciate <laughs> you saying yes on that account. Um, uh-huh. uh, and then... Um, yeah, oh, no, I totally would have done this. Mm-hmm. I totally would have done this, even if I'd read it, for sure. I mean, you, you guys were so nice when you reached out to me. And uh, and then we had that little call, and you, you were just basically like, right. how can we help you? And then you just gave me tons of advice. And I was like, yeah, you guys are really sound. Um, and you're the kind of people that I like. I think got sort of gush about, like, oh, you guys are great. But I think <laughs> you can immediately sort of tell that you're interested in the same kind of things that I'm interested in. And I, even just this book chat, I'm like, okay, well, you've read these books that are the kind of books that, I read. I can ping you some recommendations. You can ping me some recommendations. I think we just have a lot of things that line up, which is, which is nice. So, uh, yeah, very glad that that we're that we're chatting. We're vibrating at the same level. Yeah, vibing <laughs> is such a cool phrase. I'm, I feel so old now. I have to learn all these they, new. Did they vibing. use that in America, Jacob? Uh, yeah. Is it, is it in say, the verbiage? Yeah, it's a verbiage thing. That meant, oh, okay. I, I'm lucky because you know I still have my sisters that are like 16 and 18, so I'm yeah. still. You'd see, for instance, if I said, you know, I'm still imagining to managing to hold on to some of like the new vocabulary coming up because apparently "sick" is not a cool word anymore. Every time yeah. I say "sick," my sisters are like, "Ugh, cringe." And I just, I just <laughs> spent a year learning the dab, and now I've got it down, and it's just like no, no one dabs anymore. So it's very sad. Right, you're pretty behind on that. Stuff, <laughs> that. Yeah, that's, that's been a few years. Well, I had an instructor. Yeah. I was, I was, I was on Fiverr.com paying for lessons, you know? dab lessons. <laughs> Out, three hours a week with every penny. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I've the, I've got to throw this wait, out there. Wait before okay, yeah, go ahead, Ben. Just before the thought things, right? All yeah, right, whatever. Yeah, so no, I'll write mine down. Actually, I have a little doc. Okay, go ahead. You can, you can go for it. So yesterday we were we were interviewing uh, Roberto Giobi, um, which is really wow. Fun. Yeah, and, and then you got to me. What a step down. <laughs> we Roberto, it felt like a would be remiss like you know you have guy the author of car college on and we wanted to ask him a little bit about card magic otherwise i think we would have got shouted out by yeah. our fans but, yeah. <laughs> yeah it was fun but i had this thought while we were talking to him because we it's interesting because i think the idea of deep work is kind of innate in some people that are just like great creators like roberto Joby. like he basically described described deep work without you know mm. having read deep work which is interesting um but um I was thinking yesterday because I know there's a lot of people that say, and this is, just, I just want to throw this throw out there because I'm trying to contextualize it for myself. But um, a lot of people say, you know, live in the moment, like yada, 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 like the best moment is the present. Right. And that's all well and good, but it's pretty hard to do so. Um, mm-hmm. And so I was thinking about how I could apply that in actually like a granular level to my life. And I was thinking actually about deep work. Uh, and I was I was wondering, you know, maybe like, okay, I'm, I'm just, this is just a wrap. This, by the way, just to all our listeners, this is just a random Jacob segue. So sorry, but I just want to get digging it so far. It's in my head. <laughs> so I was thinking, you know, maybe, maybe the moment of, you know, maybe this like living day to day thing is harder. Maybe the actual secret to living in the moment, weirdly enough, is living in every like action, every moment. Right. And I was thinking about how when I'm, I actually, you know, I feel amazing when I'm doing deep work because I'm, lost in an action right mm. and so I, I, I was thinking about that and i was thinking well what if i applied that to everything that i'm doing for instance you know something as simple as last night i watched gremlins with my family uh and i was in that moment when i was watching gremlins i was just trying to focus entirely on watching gremlins and i enjoyed the movie way more than i ever had uh and that because you know sometimes i'll be thinking oh we made a sale oh, i want to check i want to check slack like oh 
like oh, I need to check my email and I'll do it during the movie. I'll be like, oh, maybe I should like check the news, you know. But, uh, you know, in that moment where I was able to actually just apply deep work in an individual moment, uh, it made a massive difference for me. And it's interesting as well, just even like a conversation. So I was like, you know what, like sometimes I'll be talking uh, to someone and we'll, we'll, I'll miss the enjoyment of that conversation because I'm thinking about the fact that the conversation is taking too long or oh, what <laughs> I got to do next or, you know, it's nothing to do with them, you know, I'm perfectly good conversation, but hopefully Steve isn't thinking that right now. Yeah. Steve, <laughs> Steve's like not heard the last 10 things I've said, but, but I was like, okay, so how can I apply deep work to that? Well, I should be a hundred percent focused on this conversation. Right. And there's no point in thinking of anything else. And, and for instance, like right now I've been in talks with lawyers and it's been like a stressful, it's been like a stressful few weeks because I'm trying to get my green card and all that stuff. Um, but what I find interesting uh, is just if we can actually apply deep work to every moment of our lives and be 100% involved in that moment, I think that makes a big difference because we start to enjoy every moment a lot more. Like, for instance, and this sounds weird, like I was like, okay, I'm going to apply it. Like, right now I'm walking down the stairs. I'm not going to check my phone. I'm just going to enjoy walking down the stairs because <laughs> I have stairs. And again, it this sounds- is a weird thing, but it sounds weird, but it, it, it's been really helping me. I interrupt this podcast to give a brief shout out to thedailymagician.com. If you haven't already signed up for our daily emails, please head over to thedailymagician.com and sign up now. We promise you won't regret it. It sounds like what you're talking about is really lining up with mindfulness, which right. I don't know if you've got into that much, but yeah, it's yeah, about yeah. being very, yeah, very present in the in the moment, giving the each thing the attention it deserves and i think in a way when you do stuff like deep work what you're allowing yourself to do because you guys sound like me and that it's hard to shut off at the end of the day because you're like well i can i can still do productive things even though it's like 9 p.m it's like oh just do this real quick but i think if you do really schedule in hours and and then you really give those hours the focus on what the task is by the end of the day i think maybe it is a bit easier to be like i can i can turn off now i should turn off because that's the healthy thing and then yeah. I, also, I think stuff like social media, which I'm by no means against, but the sort of those, those things are they're like slot machines in how they, they affect your brain. I think it can be yeah. harder to to focus on like a movie when when you've also got social media and you check that a lot because then you want to check it during the movie. And yeah, it can just all get a bit a bit yeah. crazy. I think the way that I like to talk about it is because um, I'm pretty good at not actually falling into those traps and, and that's not to sort of be arrogant but it's more just <laughs> i think the, the secret i've learned is like <laughs> just to i don't if know you, uh, if you don't the, start you won't have to stop right <laughs> so that's, that's <laughs> like the, the intuitive um truth of the matter is and i think i've said this before on the podcast and i always hope i get the quote right because it's kind of a obtuse one but the, so the oscar wilde quote i don't know if you heard it before you know the only thing i can resist is temptation itself so mm-hmm. it's like <laughs> Like you're saying about the email thing, uh, I think I've said this before again, I, I don't check my email until two or, or even later because I know that I'm not like a, you know, I'm not like a, a monk in the mountains. Like the minute I see the email, I'm not going to just take my mind and be like, all right, in a piece, you know, you don't, you don't care about any of this. Just go back to what you were doing. The minute I open that, like that kind of worm, it's like, okay, I've got to fix this. I've got to do this. got to do this. So the secret, as blindingly obvious as it might be, even though, you know, I didn't think of it for so long, it's just don't check your email <laughs> like check your email like once a day you know and, and then once you've done it there don't check it again until that same time next day and it's oh wow it's so simple now you know because you don't even have to bring and, and muster the inner 
strength and motivation not to, ch- to follow up on all these different leads and notifications yeah. and all this stuff because you don't even know about it and you're kind of like oblivious to it. Um, I do a similar I could, thing. I check less, but yeah. yeah. I do a similar thing with um, leisure stuff. So like YouTube videos, for example. I, I'm not doing this currently, but usually I have a rule where I don't do... I don't go on any social media until 6 p.m. I don't play any games till 6 p.m. And I, and I just have all these things that I'm not Speaking allowed to do until 6. 6 p.m. Yeah. is our sign-off. What is this? <laughs> <gasps> da, 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 da. Is. 6 p.m. is a both of our sign-offs as well. That's amazing. But like, that kind of thing helps me because I find that I have you know quite an addictive personality. I get really into whatever I'm doing. I'm the kind of person, I don't play many video games, but if I play one of them, I'll play it obsessively. You know, So I'll either play Smash Bros or Among Us, and that is it. So I have to kind of make these little rules for myself, but they become a lot easier to... I find it a lot easier when I, when I know I have a rule. Like, that helps keep me on track with things. Yeah, it's like the old... Um, not old, I guess. I don't know how old it is, but speaking of books, it's, um, it's a pretty well-known author, you know, Jocko, Jocko Willing. Uh, oh, yeah. I shouldn't say author, because he's obviously his, his main kind of uh i identify as he's an ex navy seal also an author that one should probably come first and he yeah. talks about you know discipline equals freedom and, and how like discipline is way more useful than motivation right because motivation like is pretty okay but also not very reliable whereas like discipline mm-hmm. is so freeing because like for example if i know right i don't want to write this email on a given like some days i just might not be having a great day you know it's like i don't really want to write this email so if you have to then think, oh, let me let me fight this demon, let me bring up all this motivation to get it done, mm-hmm. that's like pretty taxing. Whereas if I'm like, I don't want to write this email, but I know I am going to write this email because I have to. That's the rule. Um, and suddenly it's so much more freeing because you don't even have to like come up with the motivation. You sort of like jujitsu your mind into doing it, you know? Right. Um, well, I think it's, yeah. it's like a good quote is like, integrity is like the ability to be able to continue with an action after the emotion has faded. And I think yeah, that's, that's cool. it's really important. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Where'd you get that, actually? Because I, I recognize it. Gordon B. Hinckley. That's who it is. Oh, yeah. 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 So I think it's a, it's a, it's just like a really good one. Cause I, it's actually something that my dad always said to me. It's just probably why it's like ingrained in my head so much. But he always says, like, like, yeah, the ability to like continue with an action after the emotion is faded. And I think that is like really true. And it's something that I try and integrate into my life is like, the thing is, like, you're going to get excited and then you're not going to be excited anymore. And like, <laughs> you have to find a way to deal with that. Right. And that's where an integrity kicks in. Uh, so yeah, if we can sweep this back to magic, I guess, I don't know. We'll probably have <laughs> no. to make a, a massive cut, um, <laughs> scoop this up, you know, uh, set it aside. This is a separate um, self-help base. <laughs> right. <laughs> like download. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But I, but I actually had an interesting. This is for our second podcast. Yeah, I actually yeah. want to know. This is a. This is not going to sweep us back to magic, probably. Um, but <laughs> which I is wanted... my favorite chapter in deep work? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite lo-fi song? No, um, I was thinking. Um, there's an interesting. So yeah, I just want to know. Like as a kid, me and Benji were always like, oh, dude, there's a spot in like Camden where you can be like a street performer of like mm-hmm. magic and like you have to like get on the list and it has like a year long is that true or actually maybe don't crush our dreams maybe just do us you know well, say first down nicely there is oh gosh it's, it's actually a really tough question to answer because 
Wow. Street performing. What's what's cool about street performing is it's this like natural thing that's just developed and it's unregulated. Is is the main right. idea. But then over, because in the UK we basically have a law which means you can make reasonable use of a public space, and street performing falls under that law, so it's not regulated. It's but like then an English law. <laughs> yeah, totally. Everything, everything maybe about reasonable. reasonable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but then. Uh, over the years, they've sort of established licenses on places that are public, well, private property that's publicly, that's public space. So um, mm. by the London Eye, that's um, actually private property, but it's a public walkway. So you don't mm. need permission to perform there. But then the people that own it have actually set up their own busking system. So it's a bit of a gray area in that you could say, well, I don't need to do this system, but the system still exists. And mm. now nowadays, there are laws in place that have been sort of put in place as like London-based laws to stop or, or regulate busking. And there is one of those in Camden. So Camden's pretty crazy to perform in and uh, you can get stopped and moved on or it's all a bit chaotic. There's rules about various stuff. And then, annoyingly, actually, very recently, Westminster has, has just voted on licensing busking and, and making it a crime to busk unless you wow. have a license, which will absolutely cost a lot of people their jobs and um yeah it's really it's really crazy but that would be a whole thing in itself so the the, the very short the answer is to busk isn't doesn't that kind yeah. of go against the point of busking <laughs> it does you know and a lot of people don't really see a problem with it when they initially hear it but i think the more that you understand what busking is about and what it represents the more it it, it sort of becomes clear that it's it should be unregulated by by design really so um yeah that's going to be coming up in april where they where they're going to make it actually illegal unless you have a license and then with those licenses there's a, lot, a whole other load of restrictions that are going to really make it difficult for a lot of performers magicians musicians in particular will really struggle and and all sorts of things so it's gonna it's gonna be interesting stay tuned to find out if busking as a whole thing dies in april wow wow nice and optimistic we should Probably, yeah, I, was gonna I should have kept going with deep work. Because <laughs> I, I could feel like the years of pain behind that answer. <laughs> I guess, yeah, I'm I sorry. Guess I could hear the flashbacks in your voice. <laughs> I felt like I was on that journey. Because I, I even remember like back when I was, not that I don't want you now, um, but like I had a lot more free time when I was doing it. And so I yeah. watched a lot more of you, maybe. That's okay, I haven't posted in a year and eight months. I remember the... um. Uh, you know videos where you, this this like this uh phrase you know reasonable use i, I always watch confronting you know magician conference policeman whatever I don't know title, but yeah, you have to memorize these laws to get by for sure yeah, yeah i remember i remember secondhand vicarious experience of that i'm sure it's nothing like nothing uh nowhere near as hard as it is in real life but i, I kind of feel you a little bit no, um, no i get you yeah well maybe moving from the uh, legalities of busking more just to the art of it i had an yeah. interesting question and it, the question is has, have you noticed any uh, major crossover between the skills you develop busking and the skill uh, that you're developing as you as you write daily emails because for me it's a very similar formula where you you have to start and capture attention right at the beginning then you have to take that attention turn it into a meaningful hook kind of the interest turn that into emotion and then drive that into action Obviously, the busking action being hopefully making a little bit of money from it, and, and the email action is you know going to whatever link you want them to go to because hopefully it will value and enrich their day, and it's in your interest to, to help them click on that. And so it's it's a pretty similar formula for me. I don't know if you've noticed that. That's very interesting. I, I haven't actually maybe thought about the daily emails enough in terms of the system. Mm -hmm. My approach to writing those is just 
to share something that I hope will help in some way, mm -hmm. whether that's a little tidbit of advice or a recommendation of something. So I've not really thought about it too formulaically. And then I just written two subject lines and one of them performs better and that's the one that wins. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I haven't really thought about it, but now you mention it, I think a lot of marketing does follow a similar pattern to, to street performing. And, I, and yeah, it definitely is something that, that does help in other areas of life, but maybe in a bit more of an abstract way as opposed to me actually taking the formula itself and applying it. Mm. Although maybe I should, because now you've said that, I'm like, well, actually, yeah, it, it is quite interesting, particularly in, in busking, the transition between effect is super important. Like if you end a trick, you will lose audience members. So it, mm. it, you have to really be starting the next trick before you finish the previous mm. and sort of overlapping mm. that stuff. And I found that's very useful in a lot of areas to, mm. to maintain attention from an audience. Um, mm. Yeah, but I'll think about that more for emails. That's a good. That's a good tip. Because yeah. I think as well, it's it, you're kind of like a. I don't want to say you're an uninvited guest because obviously they've subscribed to your email list. They they want to hear from you, but at the same time, they have maybe thirty other people in their inbox, and so there is no like obligation. It's not like they've they've paid to read your email, or you know they've they've not paid to come and watch you in a show. So it really all of it resides on the merit of its uh, of of the content you're giving them, and whether it's the buskin or the email, it's like they could choose to leave at any point and it's up to you to keep them reading. And hopefully again, it's in their interest to do so, but it's your kind of moral obligation to communicate, communicate that to them. Um, yeah. I think that one of the things which drives what I'm doing is I try and have a sense that I, I always want to be operating from a moral basis, which I, I guess is kind of obvious. Everyone's saying that, but mm -hmm. on YouTube, I had a very clear standard of what I thought was okay. And what wasn't, what wasn't okay. Mm -hmm. And although I'm not necessarily going to go and make the argument that, magic tutorials on YouTube are bad or anything like that. I decided that it wasn't good <laughs> at the time. So I've, I've always, mm -hmm. you know, at the cost of gaining loads of subscribers, I've, I avoided doing tutorials on YouTube and I knew that I could just milk that. I, I was, I was in the YouTube game pretty early. So I, mm -hmm. I realized that I could have just absolutely doubled down on the idea of posting tutorials mm -hmm. and, and, and made money. But I thought that it wasn't a good, a good thing for magic, at least at the time. So I always try and, and stay, I don't know, stay attached to my principles, even with stuff like writing emails or, or anything like that, because I never want to sell out in that way. I always want to make sure that what I'm doing at least is coming from a, from a, a good place and not just a, I don't know, not any kind of money grab or anything disingenuous, which mm -hmm. I'm getting that same kind of th feeling from you guys too. But, you know, you could care about your audience and, 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 yeah, I think that's just really important because otherwise, what am I doing? You know, I want to make sure that what I'm giving is is actually going to help people in some way. So, yeah, uh, that's that's kind of how I feel about it. And I guess it's that feeling that that sort of is driving a lot of the decisions I make because it has to line up with what I think is is morally good. Hmm. I think it's also like a relationship thing as well. So there's a guy uh, called Jay Abraham. We talked about him before in the podcast, but not in this uh, regard. And here's this kind of theory. I'm not really a theory, just more like a way of a way of business or a way of life that he calls uh, the theory of like preeminence, um, and it's about kind of positioning yourself as the most number one trusted advisor for your your market or your people, and you you're only ever doing actions that are in their benefit. But understanding that sometimes it is in their benefit to buy more, and he he uses an example of um, he if he has someone up on stage with him, he says, "Hey, can I can I borrow this glass of water?" And he says, "You know, imagine I'm hold I'm I have a shop called uh, Abraham's Water." And you walk in and you say, "Hey, I want to buy uh, uh, four. I want to I want to buy like uh, four glasses of water today." 
And you know full well that in order for the, the human body to function at its, its full capacity and not get dehydrated, he needs eight glasses of water. It, it is your kind of moral obligation to tell him, look, you don't have to buy eight, but can I just tell you that you're going to get the desired result and, and benefit that you want much faster and more, in a more healthy and safe way if you just buy eight of these, you know? Um, you don't have to, but it, it's kind of my obligation to tell you that. And, and at that point, it's then up to them if they want to choose that. And it can be the same uh, in, in the way, you know, we do these emails or just however you run the business. Sometimes you can get, you feel like you shouldn't be telling them to do something, but often uh, not in like a, an obligation way, but more more just like a illumination. And, and sort of, here's the score, you know, let me be honest with you, you, you probably should be doing this. You don't have to, but, you know, it's just, about being honest with them and, and another person we've studied who writes a lot about you know emails and, and the way to approach it talks about it in terms of the relationship you know every email you send is a chance above anything else you know any other action of the email the number one end goal should be to further the relationship with the person reading it and, and that's the way you should look at every single email that everything else is kind of secondary and they both kind of play into it but yeah it really just comes down to yeah. knowing the benefit they want and then helping them get to that benefit whether it's via you somebody else you know whatever the case is that's always where it's at i totally agree with that that thinking and actually one time someone emailed me when i did my launch and they were like i'm really mm. tempted to buy and then they, they sort of gave me their their situation they were like i'm on the fence mm. should i do it and i was like no because i thought mm. for them where they were in their life that it mm. wasn't the right like step i and mm. I, I would i don't want people to join my membership or or, or buy anything that mm. i sell and then and then it not be mm. like a net positive for them it just seems like such mm. a silly thing so um yeah it's it's all about i i do think that it's it's totally okay and fine to pitch an audience something if it's going to benefit them and mm. i think that's that's good to do but i also think that yeah yeah it's it's fine to sell people something without guilt if it's going to help them mm. Uh, I think that's totally fine, but I also will not try and push something to somebody that that doesn't need it because I think that mm. that's just equally yeah, yeah. yeah important. Yeah. To do. So, I mean, to use another geoprime example, as you're speaking, it reminds me that he talks about owning, uh, imagining that you own a bike shop, and somebody comes in, and they say, "Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna buy a bike for my son. He's, he's just started riding. Um, what bike should I buy?" You could, if you wanted to, um, try and kind of. Uh, uh, do your sort of salesman slick sales pitch and, and get them to buy the most fancy, expensive, all kind of bells and whistles bike and say, look, you want the best for your kid, right? This is the best bike in the entire shop, blah, 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 and get them to buy that. And, and great, you make a little bit more money. Or you could think it rationally and think, okay, well, let me think, what is the end result? This guy wants to help his kid ride the bike and have a good experience doing so. But I know that if it's his first bike, you know, he's probably going to crash it a, a bunch and he's going to, he's going to run it into walls and he's, um you're gonna scratch it up a bit and, and he, he'll be fine and he'll 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 get the hang of it but at first this bike is going to get a little bit roughed up and so i'm just going to tell him look this this is your first bike so i'll, I'll go for this kind of less expensive model and sure you're going to like you're going to make less money in the, in the first instance because you've been honest with them now they trust you and when that kid does outgrow that bike where else do you think they're going to go to get the next bike apart from you and, and that relationship could last for years and maybe that kid's kid will, will buy their bikes from you and it's just so much more powerful than just trying to get the most out of every single transaction at the expense of honesty that's so great and it reminds me um, my girlfriend used to work in in luxury glasses retail mm. and and there's obviously a lot of pressure to upsell and, and hit sales wow. targets but she would not try and pitch people polarized lenses unless they needed it or, or no it was like the blue light lenses the ones which block out mm. blue light because mm. most people don't really need them but it's such an easy upsell but she would always be like well if it's not in the interest of the person 
then why am I? It's it's like not fair to pitch it. And yeah, it sounds like who um, who you're referring to has got a very good sense of of moral duty, which I think should underline everything we're doing. You know, well, to a degree. That's a- that's the point, right? It's, uh, there's another book that you should read, Stephen, and it sounds super clickbaity, but it's actually really good. And it's the one that Benji first recommended to me when I was getting into all this stuff. It's called like The Millionaire Fast Lane. Okay. Uh, and it basically talks about, and Benji, maybe you can get the exact quote for me better, but it's basically like create something people need and like wealth will follow. Like as far as oh, like, solve problems, yeah. yeah, solve yeah, problems. Yeah. Like that's the, the whole point. Will, yeah. yeah, like yeah, the, the, save the money, but they don't. They don't, they don't chase the customer. Do that first. Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah, that, that's that. Yeah, that's that's really good. I'll totally check that book out. That's kind of why not to sort of segue and plug my own stuff. But mm-hmm. one of the reasons that I made my membership is because I think everybody knows that they want to read. They should be reading magic books. <laughs> but there's also this thing where people don't really want to read. So this was mm-hmm. part of what's in my membership is like a book club element where members are sent mm-hmm. books, and I think that sense of everybody studying them together it kind of helps encourage people to do the thing that they already want to do but mm. it's, it's tricky to do so yeah a bit like, of accountability yeah totally yeah actually speaking of the um membership site we can, we can get to plugs there um i'm i'm, I'm, I'm excited to hear your <laughs> no, don't, don't, i don't uh, need to plug to say i just um <laughs> <laughs> no obviously we'll get to that but first i was gonna ask you so you started this uh, membership community and, mm. and to do so you kind of really had to re-entrench or maybe not even re-entrench, but sort of just bring yourself into the magic community. And it might sound kind of counterintuitive because we're talking about your YouTube channel and your kind of like this brand. But I think you've said it yourself. That was, in a way, it was it was a mixed audience where there was a lot, a lot of people watching that weren't magicians. And sure, there yes. were magicians watching it over time, um, but it wasn't didn't start that way at least. And and I know as well, you're not really. It's not like you're. Uh, from when I've talked to you, you said you you didn't really go to many conventions, that kind of thing. It's not like you were kind of networking all this time in the magic community um, yeah so you were kind of uh, outside of it looking in now that you have this you kind of had to bring yourself in um obviously even doing this podcast now is is it hopefully is a good one but it's like you're still more in the community and so i wanted to ask like what is the most like what surprised you the most about the magic community that you didn't really understand until you became kind of deep uh deep uh deeply into it wow what a what a question that's, a, that's such a big question it's kind of uh, hard to hard to answer um, yeah that was my, my, my whole goal was always to to make a channel that attracted laymen because that felt like sort of the point of of magic performances yeah. and then magicians came along for the ride which is also totally fine but i always tried to to pitch the videos in ways which would attract non-magicians particularly so yeah now now when i'm thinking about things and i'm, I'm thinking oh, actually <laughs> attracting magicians is also very much in my interest of what i'm doing right now so uh yeah i have i've kind of started slowly getting back into the magic community a bit more i think one of the reasons i was a bit cautious of of being in the magic community is that you can get in this spiral where you're where you're really into the idea of magician foolers and i think as soon as your priority is fooling other magicians you're sort of in a different space to amazing layman Mm. so i kind of didn't want to get too absorbed in that where i started making magic for magicians and not making magic for non-magicians because that wasn't what my main focus was but oh man i mean i think if i'm honest i think i've been pleasantly surprised by how nice the community can be Mm. maybe it's just because i've i've met the the sort of nice magicians uh in the community but i kind of 
having read enough Magic Cafe posts, you can be so put off getting to know any of these people. So I've had any. <laughs> like yeah i mean any magic cafe post every, every thread devolves into just like a chaotic argument which is just oh, like, no. i don't think it's needed so and yeah so i think i've been pleasantly surprised that actually i've maybe just seen a very limited window of, of evil <laughs> when in reality a lot of the people that i've started talking to are, are very nice and um and yeah just incredibly nice nice people that uh, and that's kind of blown me away about how helpful certain people will be and just how much goodwill right. a lot of magicians have that that uh, so that's that's nice and it, it, it is nice to sort of be socializing more and, and hanging out with magicians more because magic is something i'm i'm passionate about and to sort of lock it off to be mm. <laughs> a magician amongst friends that aren't magicians mm. is, is weirdly limiting in a way so um mm. yeah it's it's nice to, to do but other than that it's hard to pinpoint what what's really shocked me I'm constantly blown away by how skilled everyone is like these days. I, I feel like the, the actual quality of what people are coming up with is, is, mm. is constantly mind blowing. I'm just like, how on earth have you got there? It's, it's, a, it's incredible. So that's really humbling to see and, and just, yeah, pretty cool. I like that. Awesome. Uh, it's interesting. I, I think we might make this, well, we're nearing the hour mark now. So this is, this is a big question. We'll see if we have any more after that. Um, but, um, well, actually, first of all, before we ask the, the big boy question, I wanted to ask you. I wanted to ask you. How did you? So you were just talking about how the stuff people come up with is incredible. How does your creation process work when you want to create something that's original, um, and when you want, or even if you're putting together a routine, right? I mean, uh, yeah. we kind of talked about this, we talked about this with Roberto Gio yesterday, but it's kind of like creating something new is just putting different things that haven't been well things that haven't been together together like like for the first time right i've really messed up that quote maybe it was talking about that with, I no i think it's i think we said it was both, yeah. but um anyway how do you get in that space uh, of creation and and kind of you know how how do you become original well i i really like this question because i think it's a really good thing to be asking ourselves for me the first thing is uh, getting in a space where I'm dedicating the time to actually work on an idea properly, not just like, oh, I've had this idea in the shower, but like actually spending time, whether it's an hour or whatever, to work on something. And I think limitations are really, and start points are really important for creating. So you can start mm -hmm. with anything. And once you have a any kind of limitation, it becomes infinitely easier. So I've done a video that was magic with razor blades. So mm. once I have that start point, I buy a load of razor blades and I sit down and I play without trying to hurt myself. And it just becomes so much easier to create. And then, yeah, it is, it's drawing mm. upon your existing knowledge. So I, I think that coin magic is really underrated in terms of as a general thing that can be utilized for other stuff. I find that coin right. moves can constantly be adapted to other kind of objects. So I think it's about, for me, trying to expand my knowledge in general. So learn learn more stuff. And then that gives you all these little tools in your head that when you actually work on an idea, you've got a start point that, okay, I'm going to do whatever it is. It doesn't matter. I'm going to do magic with this thing. Then when you're playing, your brain is constantly trying to find these connections between the knowledge that you already have with different props and how you can reapply it. So the example that I kind of always give is that with magic, with razor blades, with razor blades, I do a, a, a moment where the packaging from the razor blade vanishes off the, the razor blade and the method is a snap change but i've huh. never done a snap change in my life other than just like oh i've mm. learned this thing but if i right. didn't know it i wouldn't have come up with that 
application for the razor blade. So for me, learning even moves or slights or tricks or about gimmicks or anything that I don't think I'm going to use, knowing about it, you'll be amazed at when, when you can reapply that knowledge. So for me, it's just that really, it's just to have any kind of criteria and it doesn't if i'm doing a card routine like i quite like coming up with 10 minute 15 minute card sets that flow i might just say well i don't want anyone to pick any cards in this whole thing and i want to have the the tricks connect so i might do a trick with a four of a kind and then i have to do the next trick has to involve the four of a kind and then you know i'll think about things like that but it's just about coming up with any rules any criteria and once you have that it becomes a lot easier and then the more stuff that you know the fact that you're learning studying magic regularly will give you more little tools that can make little connections to make ideas a reality. I like that. And you were reminding me as you were talking, um, when you said about uh, card sets, like 10 to 15 minutes card sets. I think the one I'm thinking of is actually a bit shorter, but I remember one of my favorite videos, probably the video that introduced a lot of people to you, because uh, it went kind of semi-viral. Um, it was like a, was it, you have to, I, I wish I could remember the title. It was like two minutes, three minutes. Uh, it's like this blue background, the UFO spectator on either side of the table, and you do this kind of like three minute card set. I don't know if you know the one that I'm talking about. Yeah. Like the, the, kind of blew up that one. Yeah, um, I think it was about 10 minutes, actually. Um, yeah, it probably just, was, actually. <laughs> yeah, I had um, two spectators and I just did did some card stuff. Yeah. And I remember when I was watching that, I was really on a, uh, how do I say? I was I was really into Danny Ortiz's work, um, <laughs> and I saw a lot of that coming through in your work. So was I. Inspired by him because I just remember seeing it and be like, "Wow, like this guy is so much better at being Danny Ortiz than I am." I don't mean that as an insult. <laughs> no, 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 that's totally fine. Well, I just watched Utopia, and and that actually that whole card set came around in in maybe two or three days. Uh, it wasn't. It was a quick turnaround, which is not mm. great because like one of the things I struggle with often is that. I can be a bit rambly. I can talk incredibly fast. So if I don't have everything scripted, then I'll just fill the void <laughs> with just a stream of people in that in that video are just constantly commenting about how I could give Eminem a run for his money and stuff. So, <laughs> but yeah, I actually had to write down in the comments every single credit, basically every idea I had in that video because some people thought it was a complete Danny DeOrte's copy, and it wasn't. I think I used three Danny tricks which i guess is quite a lot but but then it just so happened that some of the other routines that i i had come up with independently or connected are also things that danny does variations of so then it was like oh it looked kind of similar which is yeah but yeah i really love that style of of magic and the sort of card magic that you can do at a table that's all a bit haphazard and a bit messy and and yeah i really love making that stuff i think that's the the kind of thing that i i find the easiest to create like if I'm leaning, if I'm going to lean into what I'm good at, then it will be that kind of routining. Whereas stuff like making a gimmick or coming up with stuff that's gimmicked is a lot harder for me. I can still sort of do it, but it's just, I find it way easier to jam with the deck of cards in that kind of format than I do with other stuff. Mm. And would you say that's like, because you said you made that like right after going on a bit of a Danny Dewey's binge. Yeah. Would you say you've like, that? that's like the extreme? Are you still like on a kind of like a sliding scale where would you rate your this is kind of a dumb question <laughs> like out of 10 how dangerous how... is are you right now <laughs> <laughs> um that's a great question i love it well i've been i've been really into a lot of gambling stuff lately a lot of gambling dis- um, demos and things like that so i've written a couple of card routines over the first lockdown that were all similar stuff. length it's all about 10 15 
minutes, I think. And I may, I wrote like three sets, but I think if you can sort of on a scale of Jason Ladani of how you handle a deck cards to Lennart Green, who looks like he can <laughs> barely hold them, but he's obviously a master. I think I'm probably, a, probably in the middle. Like I, I tend to not avoid displays of skill. So I'll do maybe a one handed riffle if I feel like it, it'll fit the vibe. But when I am actually like controlling cards or doing whatever I'm doing, I'll use, um, just like overhand based controls and maybe I'll drop some cards as I'm doing it to try and create the feeling that that I'm not being considered with what I'm doing. And then the audience picks up on that this procedure is not very relevant or he's just kind of being quite messy because it doesn't mm. matter. So yeah, I, I I find that kind of thing. I much prefer that style. Me too. Where where I feel like it's yeah. it's not very tense. Whereas I feel like a lot yeah. of a lot of tricks that require X numbers of pharaohs and and a pass yeah. and, and things, I those moves don't feel it was good. One of the best bits of advice I ever got was from Ben Earl, and he mm. told me this in like 2008, like at 3 a.m. at a Magic convention, when I was like, "Ben Earl, please give me one piece of advice." Like, mm. <laughs> like I didn't speak like that, but I asked him for one bit of advice, and, and he was he like, said, "My son, <laughs> yeah, totally. Listen, hear, hear." <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was so strange, but um, he was really sound, and uh, he basically just said, and he, he hadn't seen me perform, so he was just saying this general. He just said, "Eliminate tension," and I've mm -hmm. always kept that in mind. And I think it's really, it's really influenced what kind of sites that I will go for. So when I resonate with someone like Danny de Ortiz, it's because he also doesn't do tense moves most of the time. Mm. You know, he might chuck in a pressure fan, but everything else is very like, you know, mm. very like spreading across and uh, to catch a break as opposed to a pinky count and all of this stuff. Mm. And I, I feel like that stuff feels the most me to me and lines up with what I kind of feel like mm. doing. Um, and it's not about avoiding difficulty uh, to add to it's, it's it's more about making a choice about which moves sort of fit the criteria of what of what you want like i can do a pinky count but most of the time i will not do one unless i absolutely cannot show the cut you know i'll always just spread over visually count it and then catch a catch a break you know like that's just what i prefer because it's just so so light to the touch mm. i don't know what the question was yeah. but i hope that answered it it was yeah you rescued my question <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's a big boy question that we hinted at, and this one we're going to end on. So, okay, Stephen. Uh, yeah, I know I used your first name and everything. Um, we want, <laughs> we've, we've been asking people uh, this question actually since since we talked to Andy Gladwin. Uh, since we had Andy Gladwin on, we've been trying to like ask around about this. So, um, again, we, every time we just say this question, we have to be really careful how we word it because it's not supposed to be offensive in any way to anyone. Um, <laughs> okay i'm but, so hyped uh, for this question for ourselves. <laughs> but i mean <laughs> as far as like magic goes i mean there's a lot of big thinkers in magic right a lot of really intelligent people um and so as far as like you could say you could make the argument right that though that that thinking should go into something perhaps more you could again um in abbreviated commas like important right you know maybe this like problem solving that goes into figuring out what Pharaoh shuffles do maybe should have gone into environmental issues or social issues or whatever it might be. Um, and so our, our big question people is really like, where do you derive meaning from magic and why, why do you think magic is important? And like, but yeah, I mean, Benji, I don't know if there's anything you want to clarify, but that's essentially, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I guess you, you pretty much know this is like, why, where is the meaning in solving magic problems that seems to be more important to people than solving other problems that are perhaps more environmentally conducive? 
that's a very good question. I think that's like a that's a deep philosophical book about. I mean, I was just learning about the concept of, of watching this video about the moral debate about whether or not we should even be buying stuff when every time you buy something, you're not giving money to charity and that could like save someone from malaria. So I think these are, this is such a big question because I guess what you're talking about is an opportunity cost, right? Of using your brain right. to, to focus on something like magic when yeah, you could exactly. be using it to focus on solving a bigger problem in the world. So, I mean, I honestly have no idea if, I, if, I'm, if I'm being totally honest, I don't know if I can morally justify doing magic when there are when there are bigger problems in the world. If if I think about it that directly and I'm that honest about myself, I would say that providing entertainment and and creating that feeling of magic, which I, I know we've all experienced, like that moment when you just know that what you're witnessing cannot be done, yet you're seeing it be done, but you know there's no explanation, and that creates this this nice feeling inside. I think that inherently does have value and does bring a net positive to society is it as valuable as other things no but that doesn't mean it doesn't have value in itself uh yeah so my goodness i don't really know how to answer that it, it's a tough question but i think magic does have a, a, a moral place in the world where it is producing good in the same way that any form of entertainment is is good for society but it's definitely not better than than other things and i think people you've got to be in a way, passion is pretty important, right? I think passion does come with, with, with time. Like if you spend time learning something, then then you might get passionate about it. But in general, people are going to be drawn to certain things more than others. So the the brain in which it is required to to be a magician is maybe not the same kind of brain that is best suited to other things. Wow, it's a tough question. I do not know how to answer it. So chop that into something that makes me sound smart. <laughs> no, I don't not, think there is supposed to be an answer. Catch you out in any way, yeah, because I mean, the whole point of asking is uh, we don't really know ourselves. Um, yeah, so, <laughs> I guess my my uh, real thing is that if you are asking a question like that, which I think is so, it, it has a ton of value in asking. You also have to take that same philosophy and apply it to other aspects of life. Mm -hmm, so we're talking definitely. about opportunity costs. Why do magic when you can do something else? Absolutely makes sense. Why buy something when you can donate money to charity? It would be another question. And, and we can ask these questions all day. And I think maybe we should. Like, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to invalidate the question by saying, well, there's other things no. that you can worry about too. Please, I just think please, that you've opened up a do. huge thing. Like, please do. <laughs> That's the whole point. Like, that, like, please do challenge us on it. Like, it's not supposed to be like a, well, we're going to catch you out question. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I don't feel caught out. I, I just mean that, like, the question is, is it's it's, it's, it's a big question. The, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's like, the, yeah, I get you. Uh, I don't know how I qualified I have to answer it. Mm -hmm. It's like there's, there's this, uh, there's like a bridge, right? We're basically just trying to find the bridge because I'm not saying there's not meaning in magic because I think the fact that so many people do it is sort of uh, self-evident that there is mm. meaning in it. I'm saying, okay, so there is meaning in it, but, like, where, where is the bridge to that meaning like where where is it derived for you and like maybe i'm maybe that's not an accurate re-representation of the question but it's definitely a, a somewhat similar one and like i'm not we're not denying that there is meaning to be found in magic otherwise we ourselves wouldn't do it it's like but it's almost like this uh invisible gap where it's like but where where is it actually coming from and like what's making us think that there's right. so much meaning in this as opposed to doing some of this other stuff which would a hundred percent be very explicitly and clearly the meaning in some of the other stuff we're talking about would be so demonstrable that it's yeah. easy but for magic it's kind of hard like where where is that bridge well i think partly why people get into magic is not necessarily why they keep doing magic 
So I could say that I got into magic because of, of any reason, right? Whether it's um, really superficial or really or deep or anything. But then I think once you you have enough momentum and you ran with something, it's like, well, now you are in that thing. Like my, my best mate is um, a level designer. Uh, actually, he worked on Cyberpunk, uh, which is very much in the news right now. But anyway, no uh, yeah, okay, yeah. So that's freaking sick. But we often talk about okay, if we if I wasn't a magician and he wasn't a level designer and we were starting life again, would we do these disciplines? And maybe not. And that doesn't mean that I don't love doing what I'm doing. But I think that you can. There are lots of things that you can get passionate about. And what I think that. Time is, is your biggest sort of asset, right? So I've been doing magic for 18 years. So it kind of means that if I want to be great at something, and I, I like the idea of achieving mastery, I like that as a goal. I like getting really good at a thing. Mm. I've always, I've already got 18 years of experience in this thing. So it makes, it sort of makes the most sense to keep going about this. But I equally could have just got really into dance as a teenager and not mm. done magic and really been like into breakdancing right. or something like that and mm. would have been just as excited about it. So I think. Mm. You can almost pick anything and, and get passionate about it uh, within reason, but magic is just the thing that I fell into, rightly or wrongly, or, or not, and, and that's here I, where I am. Yeah, I don't know if my answer to this question sounds awful, or I don't know what it sounds. I don't even know yeah, what it sounds like. If I was listening to this, I don't know what I'd be thinking right now. But um, well, it reminds me of um, something that we when we were talking to Roberto Giobi, he had a similar kind of perspective. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. He was saying, yeah, yeah, he was saying it's kind of like. At the end of the day, it's kind of like a, a null point, the fact that it's magic we're talking about. Because he was saying, really any pursuit, when you when you see it through to mastery or whatever degree of mastery you can reasonably attain in your career, lifetime, whatever. Yeah. When you do that, that in itself is like the, the end result and, and the benefit. And, and they all kind of work to do the same thing. It doesn't really matter which one you pick, as long as you pick one and do it, you know, which is the mistake some people make. Yes. Uh, yeah, I guess that that is that is right maybe i'm thinking about the question in, in too much of a, a a huge way because yeah i think almost any hobby that you could get into you can really develop a love for and a passion for and, and be so into because the process of mastery of like trying to get to that is fun and i really love the act of improving in any kind of way it's the same kind of reason why i like these books like deep work because for me the fun is in you know i get excited to go to this co-working space and get my laptop out right. and then do work because it's like that is fun yeah. for me uh mm. so yeah, I think almost anything has got that, that value in itself. Whether it, it exceeds the moral value of other things, absolutely not, I guess, but it still has its value. So how, uh, how do you even, how do you quantify that even as well? Like, that, that's the thing that's hard about the whole question. It's like, yeah. it gets into the whole debate of how do you quantify, you know, like yeah. micro versus macro actions. And I mean, it's a deep question, but it's, I, I think what you're saying is, is true. I, I mean, I think you've explained yourself well. I, I think, like, I mean, the reason you're in it is because you love it. And like, uh, as far as like, like uh, if that's the only, even if that were the only reason, then, then that's fine. You know, like uh, who's anyone else to challenge that, you know? And, and I'm not yeah. saying, I'm not speaking for you there, Stephen, because I'm sure there's a lot more reasons that you're in it and there's a lot of deep things behind it. And there is for both Benji and I as well. Um, yeah. But I, I think even if it, if the only reason was just, I just love creating the sense of wonder in people. Like, yeah. That's that fine. has merit for sure. Yeah, right. <laughs> I guess you know, yeah. I'm trying to be super honest with myself when I answer that question. You know, I'm mm. trying to not just like overinflate my own sense of self by going, "Well, I got into magic for these," and like at the end of the day, maybe I got into magic for a number of reasons or a mix of reasons or whatever, and maybe I stayed in magic for different reasons, right? Or not, and uh, and in a way, 
yeah, I don't know how relevant it is anymore because I'm here and I'm enjoying it and <laughs> hopefully it's bringing a net positive into the world. Oh, exactly. Huh. Toughest question I've ever had, I think, in my life. It's <laughs> 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 basically just like, why? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> just... Yeah. yeah, it's basically it's like that moment in... um. Oh, no. Dude, I'm so bad at names. Why can I not? It's like the most one of the most famous movies ever. Where they ask like the the what is the meaning of life and it's like forty seven. What's that movie? Mm, oh yeah, um, forty two. Oh, Hitchhike, Hitch. Yeah, thank you, forty two. And I even said it wrong. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> People would be raging if you said forty seven. I know. I know. They're like, what? No, it's forty two. That's the real answer. I'm living my I'm whole life with that. This podcast yeah. again. <laughs> oh my gosh! Thank you, Stephen. Good thing you're here. I'm so bad with specific names and numbers. I'm just. I'm terrible. I don't know how I ever got good grades in history. I just, I'm so bad at it. Uh, but yeah, anyway, uh, I'm glad that my uh, ineptitude can bring the whole tone down. Um, <laughs> let's, I, I, I think, yeah, I mean, if that's anything else to say, Stephen, I think we'll probably close it up there. I don't, I don't want to leave it on like a, I don't know. I think it's, it's one of those questions. It's, it's good. It's good. It's good introspection. And, and, and I think, thank you for like being willing to, to answer that for us and being willing to be open to that question. Cause I think that the, the fact that people, the fact that you're willing to think deeply about that question says a lot about you. Uh, oh, thank you. And, and I think that that's, that's important in and of itself. Cause it, we were talking about it. No, I mean, nobody likes to be challenged on their views of the world as far as like, I don't mean that. And that's what that question does. But I mean, as far as, you know, if you've been a scientist your whole life and someone tells you, Oh, like what's the point of studying like physics? Like, there's no point yeah. to it like it's just all theory you, your immediate reaction would be to lash back right <laughs> yeah. to, oh, no, 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 no. but the fact that you actually thought deeply about that question and tried to come up with a i think the fact i think that says a lot in itself for yourself so uh, i i really yeah i really respect your answer on that and, th and thank you for being willing to <laughs> think about that thank you very things. much uh, i i will i will just say that i don't necessarily feel you know I don't know if that came across as a, a bit of a downer or not, but I don't feel negative about the answer I gave. Uh, by any no, means, no, like, no, I, I just mean it's like, it is such a, like a big question that if I really consider it, it's, it's a huge question. Uh, I think it's a great question to ask, uh, for sure. Yeah. But yeah. No, and that's exactly what I'm saying. Like, the fact that it is a big question to you is there's right, a lot right, of merit right. in that. <laughs> the right. fact I that it's not, yeah. 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 No, yeah, I was just going to say, like, um, no, I think Jacob said it fine, uh, just fine. Um, I'll. I guess we can go into closing this. Before we do, we should um, give cheese and uh, give cheese and cheese and give Stephen. Give Stephen cheese is what I heard. <laughs> this always happens after we hit like one half hour. Um, <laughs> the uh, we should give Stephen the chance. I was going. To, I was saying Stephen and chance. It came out just cheesing or whatever. Um, Stephen, the chance to discuss. Because uh, I want to hear more about his uh, magic mastery program, and I'm sure everyone listening also wants to hear. So, uh, the floor is yours, Stephen. If you have a, if you want to end this by sure thing, self-promoting yourself, <laughs> I would love that. Well, yeah, I mean, magic mastery came about because I was—it's just me thinking about what what really is the best way of learning magic. Because I think both the magic world is in a really good spot and a really bad spot all at once. So I just kind of think about what's the stuff that really matters. So Magic Mastery is a membership program. And I kind of describe it as it's for magicians that actually want to achieve mastery and, and people that are okay with like putting in the work to, to get to that goal, whatever that end result really looks like for them. So in Magic Mastery, there's, there's quite a big focus on 
on stuff like performance theory and helping break down some of those ideas that have been a bit theoretical and a bit, you know, a bit wooey into a way that is actually like actionable and practical. So, and also one of the focuses too, is that we, we study magic books and it, it helps you kind of read more, but also understand what you're reading. And it, if anybody that finds magic books a little bit tough to consume, there's the sort of videos that I make to help kind of explain some of the stuff in those books. There's, there's kind of a, ho a whole host of things that you can check out at magicmastery.cc if you are interested in that. And yeah, I have a mailing list as well where I send daily emails. Uh, but also when you join that mailing list, currently there is, you get sent some magic videos where I talk about these just kind of bits of magic advice and things to think about. So if you, if you've lined, if you found yourself aligned with any of the stuff that I've said today on this podcast, then, and you like the way I think about stuff, then you'll get stuff out of it. And if you don't, then you definitely won't. So <laughs> that's kind of, that's kind of it really. Where, where can they sign up for the, uh, the emails? Oh yeah. Is, is there a, a link or a website? If you go to magicmastery.cc slash free, that is where they are. Perfect. Perfect. All right. Um, I think with that, we'll, we'll put a close to this one. Um, let's take a bit Remember to, to plug ourselves, actually, because uh, I always yeah. have to go back I'm in time and our own me talking about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, for anyone that wants to, to hear more from us, um, please head over to thedailymagician.com. Uh, you can sign up very easily there. We're, we're a growing community of, of magicians uh, and of people that like to uh, think outside the box, think differently. Uh, so we'd love to have you over there. Um, please, again, head over to the Daily Magician. The, I'll say it slower because I'm saying it really fast. Uh, TheDailyMagician.com. Uh, head over there, uh, sign up. Um, we're going to be, I think we're, we're, well, we're going to be working with Stephen uh, pretty well, you know, pretty closely as, as the future goes forward. As so, if, if you if you're fans of Stephen and us, there's going to be some content uh, between us. So uh, please head over to both of them, sign up. Uh, Stephen's a great guy, um, not just on the podcast but behind the scenes. So make sure to give him some love. Uh, he, he he definitely deserves it. And make sure if if you can, uh, and if, if it's something that you want to do, uh, sign up sign up for his Magic Mastery course because I don't think you regret it. Program membership <laughs> the, okay whatever we can we can cut it magic mastery the final program final second <laughs> invalidating everything that came before <laughs> <laughs> all right i'm gonna hit stop <laughs>